Just want to uh, welcome you here. Glad that you have joined us this morning. My name is Tim, uh, Director of Discipleship here at Tri-City Church. Um, would love to, to connect with you, meet with you, and, uh, and get you involved in community groups or different ways to serve here at the church. Um, but I haven't always been here, obviously. Uh, when I was younger, I was at school out in Saskatchewan at a, a Bible college called Briarcrest in the town of, of Carimport. Uh, beautiful little spot. Um, but while I was there, I uh, made some good decisions and also uh, made some um, made some questionable ones, like uh, attending uh, a sunrise service on Easter Sunday, and it was it was billed as this great opportunity to. Uh, to just experience Easter in a new way. And so I, I went, uh, but there's two real issues with it. The first one was, uh, since it was a sunrise service, uh, we had to be there at 4.30 or some terrible time uh, like that. Uh, but the second one was that it wasn't in the chapel, the nice warm place. Uh, it was outside of town in the middle of March. And so you had to walk through uh, the, the pothole-filled streets, but at least there was uh, street lights. As soon as you got out into the farmer's field, there was, there was no light. And considering that I didn't really pay attention to the instructions, uh, I didn't bring the flashlight, and I didn't exactly know where they were meeting in the field. And so I, I, I was kind of uh, walking a little aimlessly, not really knowing where I was going. And so if you pair that confusion, that lack of direction, uh, walking through these, these you know, farmer's fields that were filled with tire ruts and then frozen because it's mid-March in Saskatchewan, uh, you had a pretty, a pretty miserable Tim. Now, the people that we meet today in our passage, Isaiah 9, verse 2, if you have your Bibles, I'd welcome you to flip there. Uh, they're also kind of miserable, uh, living in, in darkness, walking in darkness. Uh, there are people who, well, it's not a, a physical darkness like I was walking through. Instead, it's more of a, of a spiritual one. See, the prophet Isaiah, who we're going to read this morning, he lived during the time of a decline of Israel when, when they, they fully walked away from, from God. And they were living in the shadow of this conquering nation, Assyria. But it wasn't just Israel. He, he spoke the word of God to both Israel and to Judah, telling them that although they were deaf and blind, they needed to, to listen to the warnings that God was giving them, that if they continue to walk in their sin, if they continue to disobey, if they continue to look like all the other nations... Well, they were going to be judged. The people that we look at today, they, they not only walked in sin, they, they rejected God's ways. They, they lived in fear, not of God, and, and looked to him for their protection, but they looked to other, other nations for their safety and their security. And lastly, they, they looked not to God and his living word that he had given them. He didn't, they didn't look to, to his prophets who came, giving the words of God, warning them how they should live. Instead, they looked to, 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 well, the dead. It's a very bleak picture that we have this morning. We have two points that come out of our text. Uh, and the first one, it's going to take us a while to, to fully flesh it out, so stay with me. Uh, but the first one is humanity has embraced the darkness. And the second one is that God has sent light into the world. The reason it's going to take us a little longer to get to the first one is, well, we're going to look at Judah and, and Israel. We're going to look at what God is, is speaking to them here and how it applies to us, how we're guilty of the same thing. And so to get there, we're going to start reading at uh, chapter 8, verse 21 and 22, and then jump down uh, to chapter 9, verse 2. So read with me. It says, They'll pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And they'll turn their faces upward. 
And they'll look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. And this leads us to chapter 9, 2, where Isaiah makes it clear that the, the Israelites have chosen to embrace darkness. They've chosen to rebel from God. This is what verse 2 says. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now, the, the, the reason that I say humanity has embraced darkness and, and Israel and Judah have embraced darkness is there's three things in our passage that really point to it. They, they walk, they dwell, and this idea of deep darkness. So let's look at this idea of them walking. The people walked in darkness. Now, the thing is, Isaiah isn't some far-off prophet from a different land or a different time. He, he's lived among the people. He's, he's walked with them. He's seen their, their lifestyles, the way that they live, their habits, their behaviors. He's, he's seen them. He, he knows them firsthand. See, although they have God's law, although the prophets have been sent to warn them and, and have showed them how they should live, how they should repent from the ways that they're living and, and turn to God, they, they haven't. They've ignored the many prophets that have been sent to help them. A read through the prophets and, and second kings shows the kind of lives they were living, and it's, it's, it's not good. In terms of their worship, we see them worshiping other gods, setting up new idols to worship. They set up new, new temples and places of worship, new altars. They, they worshiped in high places, and they, they set up other things that would, would point them to worship other gods. They turned away from God and, and started worshiping created things. But it wasn't just their, their, their worship that way. It was also the way that they tried to appease God or, or please him. See, the many kings led their people away from God in disturbing ways that looked like the other nations. They would actually sacrifice their own children in pagan ceremonies to, to try and make God happy with them or the gods happy with them. It was also sexual sin. There was a lack of, of justice in the culture. The, the culture was broken. And this is the biggest problem with, with Israel and Judah. They knew the way that they should live. They knew the way they should walk. They knew what was right. And yet they wanted to look like the people all around them. See, it's not a passive thing. It's not some small mistake that they were making. It's all out active rebellion. You remember that, that game that, uh, that you played in elementary school? Uh, or, or maybe you have one of those workplaces that really likes to do team building exercises. Uh, but it's the one where uh, somebody gets blindfolded and, uh, and you set up an obstacle course in the room and, and you have to trust somebody on the side to, to walk you through it, right? To make sure that you don't trip over the cones or you have to walk over a, a little bench. Um, that that kind of game. But it's, it's worse than that because it's, it's more like a minefield, it's a minefield and, and you've chosen to be blindfolded and walk through it and the people guiding you through it are also blindfolded walking through it with you. See, it's not if you're going to step on a mind, it's, it's when. This is what the Bible gives us as a picture of, of trying to live at peace with sin or look like the culture who is, is at peace with sin. There's a pastor recently uh, who had a really public fall from, from grace and uh, and an author wrote an article about him, Ben Sixsmith from Spectator. He had this to say about the form of Christianity he saw from the outside looking in. He said, I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should or should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable. 
for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. See, instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. And this is who Isaiah is talking to, a people who have been called out to live differently, who have been given God's law, his commands, how they should live and walk, and they've chosen to reject that, to look like all the nations around them. But it's not just their habits and their behaviors, the way that they walk, that shows they embrace the darkness. It's, it's where they go to find security. And so it's where they dwell, the, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness. So we all understand the idea of, of dwelling, I think. It's a, it's a place where you live, a, a place where you go, a place where you feel secure. And this, I, the second idea that Isaiah is trying to get across is this. Where are people going to feel safe? Where are they going for their security? In, in a crazy world gone mad, where do you go and look for help? See, God's people uh, weren't the first inhabitants or the first dwellers of this land. God had, had given them this land and actually cast out all the other nations and, and allowed his people this promised land. And he told them, if I give you this land, uh, you, need to, you need to find your security in me. You need to trust in me. You need to put your hope in me. And what we see in the, in the story of Israel and Judah is, is a people who consistently looked elsewhere for their safety, elsewhere for their security. See, God said, if you look to me, no, no foreign nation, no army is going to be something you have to fear. Worry about, worry about me and honoring me. And this is what Isaiah 8, 13, and 14 says that they should do. But the Lord of hosts, him, you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will become for you a sanctuary. But instead, when, when trouble came for the Israelites and, and for Judah, instead of looking to God, they, they looked to other nations. In, in fact, for Judah, when, when an army came and was at their doorstep, they, 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 they trusted in another nation and the problem is that nation that they trusted in turned out to be the next danger. And so when they came, they, they, they stopped trusting in them and they looked to another nation, hoping that they could keep them safe. And the cycle just kept going on and on and on. They were filled with the fear of the nations around them, not the fear of God. They were constantly using their gold, their silver, different alliances to keep them safe. But God had promised if you just dwell with me. If you just trust in me, you don't have to worry about anything else. Where should we go when we're in trouble? Well, you should go to the place that you know can protect you, the, the, the place where you know you can be safe. When traveling in another country, if you run into problems with your passports, well, where, where do you go? The, the first place you should go, that, that you, you have to go, is actually your, your nation's embassy. You know, there's no other place where you can go where you can get a passport. My wife and I experienced this firsthand. Uh, when traveling in Europe a few years ago, we went to get on a flight from London to Amsterdam. And uh, I went through first, got uh, shut down, very confused, standing off of the side while all these other people are going by. Then my wife got shut down as well, which is good because she would have flown without me. Um, <laughs> But so we went and, and tried to figure out, well, where are we going to go? How are we going to get help? Our, our passports wouldn't let us go anywhere. We could get into London, but they were expiring soon. And so what, would we go to the, the U.S. embassy or the U.K. embassy? Would we go to the Mexican embassy? I've heard nice things. Well, no, of course not. You, you go to the Canadian embassy because that's where you have citizenship. That's, that's who you can go to. 
When we had our identity verified, uh, a few phone calls at 2 a.m. to some friends back home, we had new special white shiny passports that allowed us to travel. How foolish would we be to let that happen again? But if it did happen, why would we go anywhere else? We, We know where to go to get our passports renewed if we need them. See, what's sad about the nation of Israel and Judah is that they had seen God protect them. And not just in the past. It wasn't one of those things that they remembered what God did bringing them out of, out of Egypt or, or how God protected them through the wilderness or how God cast out the nations before them or with the judges. In their own lifetimes, the people of Judah had seen God miraculously save them. When the nation of Assyria had come to destroy them, The king in 2 Kings 19, he actually went to the temple, fell on his knees, and and he cried out to God, humbling himself, tearing his clothes, and saying, God, we need you. And God answered. He sent Isaiah, the the prophet, to go and and tell the king, watch this, I'll I'll take care of it. And And he wiped out the army. He destroyed them. And you would think, like, seeing something like that, that for the rest of their lifetime, they would be secure. They would be, they would be sure to go to God. But that's not the case. They quickly forgot what God has done. And before we, we jump on this, oh, look, at, look how foolish they are for, for not trusting God, for, for forgetting what he had done for them. Maybe you're a little bit like me, where I've often forgotten the ways that God has been gracious in my life, the way that God has provided, the, the ways that God has, has shown up in my life where I've needed him to, when I've cried out to him. And yet, I still sometimes, I've chosen to look for hope and for safety in other things. Their habits, their behaviors are darkness. The place of security that they go to is darkness. And lastly, it's what they look to. They look to deep darkness, right? Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Well, what is that? So they've, they've dwelt in this secure place other than God. They've, they've looked into this deep darkness that is the spiritual realm. They've, they've looked there for peace and for security and for guidance, but it's not God. See, the deep darkness is looking to the dead rather than the living God. This is what chapter 8, 19 says in Isaiah. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? The, the, the medians and the, and the necromancers are like the uh, occultists or the, the, the psychics of our day. See, the people of God are guilty of looking elsewhere for their guidance. Elsewhere for, for what God says or, or what God thinks of them. They have the law. They have God's wisdom revealed for them that this is a, a terrible idea, that they shouldn't do it, that this will actually even bring more of God's judgment on them. But instead of listening to it, they, they, they go to it because it speaks a, a nicer word for them. See, Although they had the word of God that was a light for their feet, a way that they should live, a way that they should trust, that they would know if they're living rightly with God, if God is happy with them, they don't like the message that they're hearing. See, they wanted someone to tell them what they wanted to hear. And unfortunately, the message from God and from the prophets was repent and turn. The message they were hearing was, you need to stop rebelling and you need to start living with me. 
What they wanted to hear was everything's fine, everything's, everything's good, you're, you're okay, keep, keep doing what you're doing. It sounds positive and happy, right? Just think happy thoughts, think good things. The problem is this is really dangerous because it encouraged them to continue to live in their sin and their darkness and, and live in a way that was bringing God's judgment on their lives. Well, what do you do when you're not getting the news that you like? What do you, what do, you do when you're not hearing the things that, that, that make you feel like everything's good? Well, if you're watching TV, you turn the channel to something else. You read a different book. You, you go somewhere else to, to, to hear something better. I don't know if you've ever done this, uh, but sometimes in a, in a relationship, maybe something isn't going great. Uh, you're having some, some stress in your relationship where things aren't working well. And so you go to somebody, and, and who do you go to first? Well, hopefully, you go to somebody who's in a healthy relationship, somebody who, who is, uh, who's wise. And you look to them and you say, hey, this is my issue. What, what do you think? Now, if they're, they're really a wise person, they'll give you honest advice. They'll say, well, actually, you're, you're, acting, you're acting really selfishly. You're kind of living in a way that isn't going to lead to a flourishing relationship with your, your, your spouse or your, your girlfriend, boyfriend. Like, you need to change. It doesn't usually feel good because you don't want to hear that. So you maybe go to another friend, right? The friend who's single, who's never had a relationship that's lasted longer than a weekend. And you ask the same question. They tell you, man, can you believe how selfish that other person is? Man, I, I cannot believe they would expect that from, from you. And you hear all the good things that you want to hear. You're confirmed, right? Like everything that I wanted to know, yeah, of course I should just keep doing what I'm doing. That other person has to change. Really, you're just looking for soothing advice or something to allow you to continue down your chosen path. You're not actually looking for real wisdom. And this is the issue for, for the nation of Israel and Judah. And maybe this is the issue for us. Where do we go when we need counsel? Do we go to God's word or do we look to the word or the world for, for our help, for our guidance? See, often when we, when we really look into God's word, it's uncomfortable. It calls us to change. It calls us to repent. It calls us to live differently. It tells us that the things that we love, that the things that we're comfortable with are actually sin. And it's leading to our judgment. It's leading us away from God. See, a good, a good friend is like scripture who tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. It's actually the, the bad friend, the friend who tells you everything is fine, is the friend you should be leery of. See, the Israelites, in the way that they lived, the, the way they thought, the way that they acted, they were indistinguishable from the nations around them. What they trusted in, where they looked to for guidance, they were looking to the nations that God had already judged and destroyed. They, they, they were trying to live like everybody else around them. And this is the really important thing to point out. It, it actually isn't just a problem of Israel and Judah. It's a problem of the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians as well. It, it's a problem of the Philistines and the Ammonites, the Moabites and the Canadians. See, ultimately what becomes clear when we look at this passage and we apply it to our own lives is that, well, it's a human problem and humanity has embraced the darkness all of us have looked elsewhere for how to live. All of us have looked elsewhere for trusting in something to save us other than God. All of us have walked away from God. And for some of us, it might feel like you're living in the dark right now. Maybe you feel this. 
Maybe you feel that there's areas in our lives where we're lost, we're unsure, we're, we're helpless. Hold on, there's, there's hope in this passage to come. But maybe you don't feel this. Maybe you don't feel the darkness at all. You feel like everything is fine. What if you're living in a darkness that has blinded you, blinded you to, to see what life should really be like, to see what God really calls you to? I started the sermon with this terrible experience of walking out in a frozen field in the middle of the night. I remember laughing at myself for how dumb I felt for going to this thing. But I finally showed up. I got to the right place. It shouldn't be hard in Saskatchewan. There's nothing in the way of seeing anything. Um, and yet, I, I finally found the place, and, and something happened, and I shouldn't have been surprised. In fact, it, it, it's dumb to even say that I should have been surprised in any way, but something happened that I hadn't really experienced in a long time, or maybe I had forgotten about. The sun started to rise, but everything felt very different coming out of the darkness, the, the deep darkness. The, the horizon changed and, and the, the, the sky started to light up and, and everything started to look different. There was these long shadows at the beginning, but as the sun rose and was blazing in the sky, as, as we felt its, its warmth, everything was illuminated. Everything was, was beautiful. Everything was different. The walk home wasn't as, uh, as, as dangerous. You could see where you were going. You, you, could, you could see every rut that you could have walked in and twisted an ankle in. And here's the good news for us today. Here's the good news that the passage speaks to us. Just like the sun rises every single morning and casts the darkness out, God is the one who acts on us. God is the one who shines his light into the darkness. Creation has no part in making the sun rise, and creation has no part in making God give us his grace. It's fully an act of God. And before the creation of the world, before anything was made, even though God knew the sin and the brokenness that we would walk in, he still chose to create us and to love us. He still chose to go through this all knowing what would happen and still gave us his grace, still gave us his love. And because of that love, he hasn't chosen to leave us in the darkness. He hasn't chosen to allow us just to stay where we are. See, if we've seen clearly that humanity has embraced the darkness, then we'll also see that God has sent light into the world. Isaiah 9-2, right? I, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So what's this light supposed to be? What's this, this great light that's going to shine? Well, Psalm 27-1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The hope for these people the hope in this passage is that, is that God would actually dwell with his people, that God would actually be face to face with his people, that, that he wouldn't just speak through his word, although that's amazing, although he wouldn't just speak through prophets, that's amazing. He would come face to face. And this is the promise that we see of, of Christmas and the passages actually around ours. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
In Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The people were waiting for God to visit his people. They were waiting for God to save them. The prophets were great. The word of God was amazing. God even dwelt with his people in the tabernacle and in the temple, but he was going to finally visit them face to face. In 700 years, the people waited. But the promise of God is, is so sure that the Bible talks about it as if it's already happened. It's already been completed. This is what Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And the birth of Jesus is where the promises and the prophecies come together. It's what John 1, 9-13 says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And Jesus himself speaking in, in John 8 says this, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, with his coming, Jesus is the true light so that we wouldn't have to walk in darkness any longer. This people could see the light and they could now walk in obedience to God's ways. They could trust him for their eternal protection. They could look to his word for guidance and wisdom and know that God is, is pleased with them. That's what the promise of Isaiah 9-2 is, that God incarnate would give light, which is hope and sight to a people who are blind, who are deaf, who cannot see and understand. What great news for this people. What great news for God's people that God has come down and revealed himself to them, but what does it mean for us? Well, this is what Jesus says about his coming for, for you and I. In John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. By faith, we're brought out of darkness, out of sin, brought into the light of faith. And it shows itself in a great reversal of the dark things that marked our life before. See, instead of walking in darkness, we can walk in light, right? This means we strive to obey God. He gives us a new, a new heart. He actually gives us the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who, who speaks to us, who helps us understand how to follow, how to live, who calls out our sin, who calls out our rebellion and convicts us so that we can walk with God every day. Instead of dwelling in darkness, we can dwell in the light. This means that we, we seek to trust him in all things. In, in this life and the life to come, because God has come to dwell with us, we can now dwell securely with him. We know that because of his life, death, and resurrection, we can have hope in this life and the life to come. It's, it's a beautiful promise. Because the light has come. And instead of deep darkness, we have a great light. This means we don't look to the world for wisdom, 
but we grab hold of the deep spiritual truths that are found in God's word, lived out by Jesus. We know that God is pleased with us because the Bible tells us that he loves us and we can respond to it. We know that we're no longer enemies of God, but we can be his friends. We can be his, his children adopted into his family. But what does this life change really look like? I mean, we, we've heard the, the, the really grand stories of, of people who were once murderers who, who now have repented and, and are walking with God or people who were, who were drug dealers who, who now have changed their lives around. But it also looks like, like my friend who was living as a Muslim he was living obediently to his faith and to his family, to his, his culture. But something was wrong. And he felt the darkness. He, he felt that things weren't, weren't right. There was nothing necessarily wrong, but there, there was something missing. Something wasn't there. And God shone his light on him. He started going to church, started reading his Bible. He started being a part of the community of, of God. And, and he started to see that, that God was better. He started to see that the, the life that he could have in, in Jesus was more fulfilling, that, that gave him actual hope, that gave him a way to walk that, that was actually life-fulfilling, that, that led to his flourishing. He's a different man today because of it, even with his Muslim family really making it hard on him. E even with the attacks that he's received, he, he knows the hope of Jesus in this life and the life to come. He trusts that God is in control. It's a great reversal of how we once lived in sin and darkness and how we can now live because of Jesus' light coming into the world. It's still going to be hard because we're letting go. We're, we're rejecting a way of life that has been natural for so long. Rebellion was a, a first language, and that's really what it's like. It's like learning a new language. Or, or after a really bad accident, it's like learning to, to walk again or, or, or learning to, to talk or eat after you, you've had something happen to your mouth. You have to put in the hard work and the discipline. You, you have to make it part of a, a dedicated routine to become different, to become changed. And that's what God allows us to do. Because once we've committed to it, once we've submitted to Jesus, we have the way and the truth and the life in Jesus that guides us. We can be at peace with God the one we were once enemies with. We can walk in ways that honor him. See, there's two truths that come from our, our passage. Humanity has embraced the darkness, but God has sent light into the world. And the question that comes from these two points is how will you respond to the light? Will you accept it and live in the light of God? Or will you reject it and live in rebellion? There's, there's two uh, interesting animals. Uh, there's lots of them, but two of them specifically of how they respond to light. Moss and roaches. And I know it's going to sound terrible, but uh, we kind of fall into one camp or the other. See, moss, I think we all know this. Uh, in, the, in the middle of summer, if you have a porch light on, um, you can see in the middle of the night just moss all around it. Uh, and in the morning, uh, there, there might even be moss burnt on or, or inside uh, the light. See, they, they're driven to go to the light. They, they go to it and they stay there, even if it means their, their death, because they're just so attracted, they want it so badly. But most of us, maybe actually have never even seen a roach. Because as soon as you turn on lights, roaches scatter. They, they, they run. They, they hate the light. It's like a repellent. It's, it's like pulling the fire alarm and everybody just runs. They, they want nothing to do with light. 
They run and hide. See, Jesus makes it clear that lots of people don't really like the light. They want to stay in the darkness. John 3, 18 and 19 says this, whoever believes in Jesus, in him, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The world didn't reject Jesus because they didn't recognize him. They, they rejected Jesus because they loved their sin. They loved the darkness. And with that rejection of the light, there's condemnation and judgment. And so the question for us this morning is, well, does the light of Jesus draw you? Does the light of Jesus give you hope and peace? Or does the light of Jesus scare you? Does it, does it make you, you hide because it makes you uncomfortable? It exposes things about you that you don't really want to change, that, that you kind of love. If you aren't sure, ask yourself, am I interested in reading the Bible and allowing it to shape my life? Do I really want God to transform every area of my life? Or, or do I just want someone to tell me what I want to hear? Do, do I just want to be comfortable or do I want the truth? See, the hope for, for all of us today is that God has shone a light into the darkness. The hope that we have is that God hasn't left us in our darkness. He sent Jesus and we can listen to that promise today fulfilled. See, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. My hope and my prayer for us this season is that we would see Jesus as the light. The light that gives us hope that we would believe in him and who he is and what he has done for us. What he's done for the world. My hope is that you would be someone who in the past walked in the darkness, but now you walk in the light. Let's pray to that end. Father, we, we pray that as we as we reflect on our lives, as we reflect on the things we love, the way that we live, the things that we trust in, that God, we would allow your light to shine into our lives and we would be able to see, God, where you're better, where you have saved us, where you, you've guided us, where you have given us hope, where you've given us peace. God, we pray in this season that we would understand the darkness and, and how it leads to our judgment how it leads to death, but God, you, you haven't left us there. God, you have done the work in shining the light of the gospel into our lives. And I, and I pray that this morning we would see that, we would repent. God, even if we're following you today, would we continue to repent of the sin and the ways that we walk away from you? And God, if we, if we don't trust in you yet today, I pray that today we would turn, that we would see the hope of this Christmas season and God, we would see you clearly, maybe for the first time, that we would believe in you and what you've done for us and for this world. And so we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.